Lucas on Life. Hello, I'm Jeff Lucas and welcome to Lucas on Life. Today is Pentecost Sunday, that day when we celebrate the truth and hopefully experience the truth that the Holy Spirit came upon the church on the day of Pentecost. We read about it in Acts chapter 2 and that we are a people who can experience that power too. That first day of Pentecost, it happened during the feast of Shavuot. God had lots of feasts and festivals arranged for his people. They were very, very colorful, very creative, like the Passover feast, for example, which was consumed by a people dressed and ready for a journey with their cloaks tucked into their belts, their sandals on their feet, staff in hand. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 12. And then there was that mass campout lasting seven days when the Feast of the Tabernacles was celebrated, Leviticus chapter 23. Colorful feasts and festivals designed to help Israel remember who they were and remember who God was and is. Shavuot, the day of Pentecost was one of two annual Jewish harvest festivals when they gave thanks for provision, provision of the harvest and provision of the law as well. It's actually mentioned five places in the first five books of the Bible. And this was the festival the Jews were celebrating in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fell with power upon the church. Again, we call it the day of Pentecost. It was also a big party, a big celebration. Many would sit up all through the night reading the Torah, the law, a celebration of God's provision, which turned into a celebration of God's power. So this week, Lucas on Pentecost, I'd like to tell you about three of the most memorable experiences of the Holy Spirit that I've had, three power encounters and events that stand out in the 40 plus years that I've been a Christian. This week, Lucas on Pentecost. I spend a good chunk of my life attending Christian services and meetings. In my home church, we have multiple services every weekend. So when I'm preaching, I get to share the same sermon four times, the same outline points, the same spontaneous humor repeatedly. I get the joy of listening and often remark to my wife, Kay, that I get sick of the sound of my own voice. Smiling, she replies, I completely understand how you feel. I've been in so many times of worship in the last 45 or so years that, based on my calculations, I think I have sung one rather overused song for the equivalent of no less than three months, and I have spent nearly a year of my life with my hands raised. Okay, I made those stats up. Itinerant ministry has granted me the privilege of seeing the church in a myriad of tribal variations. I've coughed reverently in the presence of incense-swinging Anglo-Catholics, attempted to dance along with some breathlessly high-spirited charismatics. I was just breathless, not them. And I enjoyed a week with some Irish Methodists who didn't drink alcohol being Methodists, but if eating puddings was an Olympic event, they'd have the gold in the bag. I've enjoyed the oompa-pa of brass bands with Australian Salvationists and joined the collective chorus of vibrant gospel churches in London. But out of all of these thousands of services, literally, there is just one that stands out as the most remarkable, one that I want to tell you about on this Pentecost Sunday. It happened nearly 30 years ago, but it was so memorable that decades later, I still bump into people who whimsically say to me, I was there that night. 
I was the speaker, the preacher, although I didn't get to say very much. It all began when, while walking to the tent where something like a thousand young people were gathered, I heard God whisper to me, Tonight, Jeff, I'm going to teach you a lesson that you'll never, ever forget. Now that piqued my interest. God doesn't speak to me a lot, at least not in my assessment. I was due to preach on the power of the Holy Spirit and had planned to begin my talk with a simple illustration of fatherhood. It's the loving father who gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when we feel safe with him, we're more likely to be open to his power. My then two-year-old son, Richard, would toddle out onto the platform and I would hold him in my arms for a minute or two while talking about how secure he was with me as his dad. That was it. The worship band played quietly in the background and then Richard suddenly threw his arms back and for a moment it looked like he was going to punch me, which would have been awkward. The sight of me with a bloodied nose would have had somewhat spoiled the illustration of warm father-son affection. But instead, he wrapped his arms tightly around me and buried his head in my neck. It was then that it happened. People suddenly fell to the ground, instantly succumbing to the wave of the Holy Spirit that filled the tent. Others cried out a response to the sense of unfathomable awe that pervaded in the place. And then within minutes, as Richard and I just stood there, a queue, a line of people formed, folks who had been instantly healed in their bodies at that moment. No one asked them to come forward. They just came forward. So I tried to preach, but without success. I'm not into the God moves so powerfully, the sermon was cancelled notion. Biblical teaching matters, but that night it was placed on hold. And the lesson I learned was, it is as Jim Packer once said, that the alphabet of Christianity begins with F for Father. How should we pray? Start with our Father. How should we die? Well, perhaps if we're able, Use the Jewish night prayer, into your hands I commend my spirit, but do what Jesus did while on the cross in an action that was revolutionary. Preface the prayer with Father. And for those of us who tragically have had a negative, even abusive experience of fatherhood growing up, may you find comfort in the truth that Jesus never said that God is like your dad. Rather, he taught that God is like no father that we've ever known. Resting in his fatherhood doesn't just come naturally to any of us. According to the Bible, the Holy Spirit wants to work in our hearts, enabling us to cry Abba and rest in the Father's love. It was a life-altering lesson about the Holy Spirit, about the power of Pentecost, yet one that will take eternity to fully learn. And that is this, he's a good, good father. Hi, I'm Sam Hales. If you're enjoying Lucas on Life, you'll love the Profile Podcast. Every week, we sit down with a leading Christian to find out more about their life, faith, and testimony. Here's Justin Welby. Part of my daily prayer discipline is praying in tongues every day, and not as a sort of occasional thing, but as just part of daily prayer. Listen to the full interview with Justin Welby now on The Profile Podcast. Just search for The Profile wherever you get your podcast from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. I'm sharing three episodes from my life where there have been Holy Spirit encounters. 
I was excited as I hurried into the service because the worship band was serving a pre-meeting cocktail of high-energy worship rock and roll thrash. There was a sense of high anticipation in the air. Just under a thousand leaders had gathered for four freezing days at a windswept holiday camp on the blustering east coast of England. I'd been trying quite hard to enjoy the leadership conference, but the truth is my heart really wasn't in it. The event came during a period of heavy soul-searching in my own life. I was asking some fairly significant and serious questions about my own identity and calling. Crisis is too strong a word to describe my condition back then, but I was feeling confused, discouraged and not a little battle-weary. The issue centred on my commitment to humour in teaching and preaching. I like and indeed love laughter, and I'm really nervous when I get around those Christians whose facial arrangements suggest that they're wrestling with severe constipation. I bump into far too many believers who feel that laughter is okay, as long as it's planned as a post-death experience in the eternal bliss of the afterlife. I'm not prepared to wait that long for a giggle and love to employ humour as a genuine communication technique. Now, I don't tell jokes, punchlines are too risky, but I use stories to illustrate and provoke stories like this one that I'm sharing with you now, I hope, to entertain and create interest. Not a month goes by without someone likening me to a, a Ben Elton, and I'm very flattered with the comparison because Ben is a very astute craftsman, not only in his communication technique, but also in his sharp ability to be an observer in the zoo that we call life. Now, there are a few people who seem to like what I do, but there are inevitably those who feel that I'm just a superficial lightweight who lives for the next funny story. Because there's a feeling abroad in some Christian circles that the really heavyweight and helpful brand of preaching and teaching is deep. But sometimes we say that preaching is deep when what we really mean is, I didn't get a word of that, did you? I remember once sitting through a numbingly boring meeting when Buddhism had seemed attractive. The preacher chose to speak on the zippy subject of Rudolf Bultmann and the quest for the historical Jesus. He dreamed up this very natty and tantalising title for his message, which he was displaying on the overhead projector. Remember those? Not only was his theme totally inappropriate for what was a Sunday morning family communion service, but also he managed to deliver his content in a totally incomprehensible way. So, what did you think of that sermon? I asked a good friend, also a minister, as we left the meeting hall. Well, Jeff, I didn't understand it at all, but I think it was good preaching. I was tempted to eat my Bible there and then. How could it be good if no one understands it? How can communication be profound if 98% of the hearers haven't received the communication? Let me put it subtly, such a suggestion is bunk. And so I believe that my commitment to preaching that can be understood and I hope enjoyed, delivered with a smile, it's a legitimate one. But the suggestion that I'm a lightweight was chafing me somewhat that day back at that conference. I'd complained to God about it. Now, please don't gain the impression from what I'm about to say that God and I sit around all day having matey little chats because I, like everyone else, find it difficult to work out if God is speaking to me, if Satan is talking, if I'm talking to myself, or if the ideas in my head come as a result of overindulgence in a curry the night before. 
But I went to God with my complaint anyway. So God, have you called me to be a fool for your sake? The answer that seemed to come back was not, shall we say, lengthy and reasoned in its argument. Yes. A fool for Christ. Great. Thank you, God. Why can't I be an evangelical statesman who is respected for the profundity of his exegesis? I shared my sense of being a fool with no one. And now I was sitting in that meeting. The worship team was wrapping up and I was conscious that it's quite possible that God is about to talk to me through one of his and one of my friends. Gerald Coates had advised me that he had a prophetic word brewing for me and that he was planning to give it that night during the public meeting. This could be good news or bad news and filled me with hope and dread. I took my seat and waited because I was hoping for a good prophecy, you know, the sort of thing, blessing, anointing, possibly the provision of a new car. I wasn't at all prepared for what came next, but that happens when the Holy Spirit is at work. Gerald called me onto the platform. The musicians played quietly and Gerald held a microphone in one hand, but in the other, he held what looked like a multicolored piece of cloth. I speculated wildly. Perhaps he was going to say that I was a spiritual Joseph with an amazing technicolor dream coat. Was I going to prison? Would I be flirted with by Pharaoh's wife? Was I going to get a baker into serious trouble? But of course, none of the above was the case. He unfolded the cloth, which turned out to be a jester's hat, complete with loud harlequin colours and bells. And to my horror, he placed the hat unceremoniously upon my head. The music played. I turned and faced the crowd, feeling that now I looked utterly ridiculous. My suspicions were confirmed. People in the crowd initially sat quietly, trying to look serious. After all, this was the prophetic bit. But the sight of me so garbed soon began to tickle a collective funny bone, and within seconds people were first sniggering furtively, then laughing out loud. One or two were punching one another, heads thrown back and shoulders shaking with mirth. I turned away. My face flushed beetroot red. I was angry with the laughing congregation and angry with Gerald. What was he playing at subjecting me to such public humiliation? What was God doing? Didn't he know that I'd experienced enough dismissive sarcasm from fellow Christians to last me for eternity? My anger was transformed in just a second as Gerald began to prophesy. And I'll tell you what he said after this. Hi, I'm Sam Hales. If you're enjoying Lucas on Life, you'll love the Profile podcast. Every week, we sit down with a leading Christian to find out more about their life, faith, and testimony. Here's Joyce Mayer. Anything that we give up for God, He gives it back to us multiplied so many, many times over. I encourage anybody to make whatever sacrifices they need to to be in the perfect will of God because there's no better place to be. Listen to the full interview with Joyce Mayer now on the Profile podcast. Just search for The Profile wherever you get your podcasts from or visit premierchristianradio.com forward slash The Profile. I'm Jeff Lucas. This is Lucas on Pentecost. And at the beginning of the show, I told you that there were three episodes, three events that I wanted to share with you, three experiences of Holy Spirit power. The one I mentioned earlier when the Holy Spirit fell on that service where I was supposed to be preaching. And then this moment when a jester's hat was placed on my head. But there's a third part to all of this. And that is the prophecy that came that evening from Gerald Coates as he stood on the platform. He said, you've been willing to be a fool for Christ. Help. I told no one that I felt that God had told me that I was called to be a fool. This prophecy 
This word from the Holy Spirit was so accurate, it was spooky. Gerald went on to talk and prophesy about how the fool, the jester, was so valuable to a king, and then told me that he felt that God was saying to me that it was vital for me to know two things. Firstly, that I would experience criticism because of my calling, but God would give me grace and strength, but some criticism would be coming. Secondly, that I needed to learn a greater level of dependence on God and lean upon him every day. Two powerful words from the Holy Spirit to equip me for the calling that I had to follow. I've learned something new since about being a fool for Christ as well. An actor that I met, a Shakespearean actor, suggested to me that the calling of the fool, particularly in Shakespeare's writings, is a calling of dignity and wisdom. The fool has a special level of audience and friendship with the king. He's able to express profound truth in the most simple, entertaining ways. He's a vital component in the royal court. Called to be a fool, it's not so bad after all. And so these three episodes, these three Holy Spirit encounters, energized and equipped me to carry on doing what I feel God has called me to do. On this Pentecost Sunday, let's remember, Pentecost, again, it's not just about a historical event that happened in the New Testament. It's a reality that God wants all of us to experience every day. A prayer we can pray, perhaps every morning, is Holy Spirit, fill me afresh today. Why not pray it right now? I'll see you next time. Lucas on Life.